Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Black Baseball Mixtape. We are going one-on-one, and I am very excited, truly, truly honored to go one-on-one with a tremendous leader in many ways, whether he admits it or not, whether he likes it or not, a pioneer uh, when we talk about head coaches in Division One, He is now at a very young age <laughs> being considered, I, I saw it written as the dean of black coaches in, in D1 baseball. This is Georgetown Hoyas coach Edwin Thompson. Coach T, welcome to the Black Baseball Mixtape. How are you? Uh, thank great. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Excited to talk some baseball today and um, excited to uh, just uh, share share a little bit about what we do here at Georgetown and myself. So looking forward to it. Well, your your reputation precedes you. It, it really does. And it's not just a reputation of excellence on the field. We can go into last season, a record number of wins at Georgetown. You turning a program around from your first year, I believe it was six wins to 32 wins last season. It's yeah. a history of what you've done as you've gone through your career. But let, let me let me talk about let, let me first ask you about what we just kind of talked about at a very young age, lower lower forties, mid at this point. Um, because of the challenges of African American coaches and and D one baseball, you are looked at as a trailblazer, an example. Uh, a dean, if you will, when you hear things like that early on, and and somebody that I know, you're just kind of looking and saying, "Hey, my career is 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 really, if not just getting started, it's not just getting started, but you're in the peak of your career." How does those references make you feel, and and what does that make you think about the challenges we're facing uh, as as black leaders in in college baseball? Yeah, I mean, I'm humbled um, anytime I hear that. It's just uh, an honor, um, to be honest. I think for me, it's I'm just doing what I know is right. And I know that I, what I'm capable of doing in the platform that I have and uh, providing opportunities um, for younger coaches. Um, and I think that's kind of been a mission of mine probably the last three to five, four or five years, just to really make sure that uh, I'm just going to make sure I leave the game better than when I got here. And I mean that in the sense of just having opportunities for guys, young guys that are trying to get into the game. Uh, and I, and during COVID, you know, really was kind of when it started, like my um, had time to sit back and, start breaking down some of the numbers and start looking at exactly how many black coaches we had in division one and it's in college in general and put it put, basically started a list and kind of put that list together. And uh, we did a couple of zoom calls with uh, a lot of the coaches last offseason from guys in the big leagues, all the guys down to high school level uh, and just started to grow that and we'll build out this off season. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's a, it's one area that it's, it's important in my life that uh, I want to make sure that I'm, doing right, just like the guys before me that Jay Alexander, who was at Eastern Michigan um, out of Detroit, and then Elton Pollock, who's been a, a pioneer. You know, he's been a lot longer than I have at the Division One level at Presbyterian College. But, you know, you know guys that I looked to uh, when I came into the game, like, who can I look to? It looks like me. And uh, that was an area that uh, it wasn't. And, you know, so I just try to hopefully impact that as I go a little bit. In the last couple of years in your discovery, we, we, we always hear in professional industries, whether it's engineering or, or especially entrepreneurial in Silicon Valley, they, they use kind of the term pipeline problem. So it's, it's oh, well, we would hire, you know, this this software engineer if we could find them. We don't yeah. we don't find them over at Facebook or Microsoft. And what we've discovered over the last four or five years, it's 
it's not a pipeline problem. They're they're African American engineer degrees and developers are cranking out all the time. It's just it's easier in many ways not to hire them than it is to hire them. <laughs> and and so in the last couple of years, while you're like you said, you're making databases, making lists, you're really digging into this, you're calling high school coaches. What have you found is the biggest challenge to point as in regards to point of entry to getting younger African-Americans or even experienced African-Americans in the college ranks, especially at the college level? Yeah, I think that like anything, networking is an important part. Um, having that connections, you know, like any industry, it's all about who you know. And I think um, sometimes if you come up from a smaller school, so to speak, you may not have the, the connections that you would have from a, a bigger school. And so that those trying to kind of connect the, the dots and helping um, young coaches kind of just understand the process of what it takes to be hired, to get an interview, to do those type of things. And that's kind of been part education, part knowledge. And having that information is allowing guys to, to make uh, better opportunities for themselves. And, you know, ultimately, I, I always tell them I, I may help connect you with a coach, but ultimately you're going to have to do the interview. So part of what I try to do when I mentor young guys is just try to give them that what it, what it's going to take in an interview process to get the job as long as their skill set um, allows them to and, and what, what they're, they're looking for. Obviously, if you're a young coach, you're not going to go coach the Yankees. I and mean, it's just not realistic. So you have to kind of be, you know, just like I tell my hitters, uh, you have to know who you are as a hitter. You have to know where you're at as a coach. And I think sometimes as coaches, as competitors, you, you think you're higher at level and maybe you really are. So kind of just be in that um, realistic area. Um, but I think the challenges are always just going to be the, the, the network. And so we're trying to grow that network and space it out and, and make different connections and allow them to um, to grow in, in, in whether even if you don't get the job or it, just get that interview, right, and get that practice. I think sometimes hearing no actually is a good thing in the coaching space because you don't want every job that you get offered. And so you have to kind of navigate that in itself to make sure, you, hey, yeah, I actually have a good job, maybe at a smaller school, but it's actually a pretty good job until the next job that it may be better in my career uh, instead of going laterally just because, you know, it may sound better. So there's just things of that nature. Now, talk to me about you personally. Did you did you always want to be a coach? And how did how did your coaching journey begin? Because you've been to a couple of stops. You've USA Baseball. <laughs> you it, it seems like you kind of always had this in you, and this is what you wanted to do. But uh, how how did how did it how did it happen for you? Yeah, I think at a young age, you know, I I um. At a young age, I I, I I'm roller skating to my family. That was that's what we did. Speed skating, roller hockey. So like, at a young age, I really, um, I worked and I coached and I trained people how to how to skate. Basically, at twelve, I was training adult, adults how to skate and at a high level. And so, um, and then I got hurt my senior year of baseball. Um, going into my senior, I was playing hoops. I broke my ankle, and so the first part of the preseason, I was injured. And so essentially, I could you know hang out and do nothing, or I just end up just being the, basically the, the JV coach because we didn't have another coach. And so uh, at the time, so they hadn't hired anybody yet. And so my, I would just take the hitters or take the players and started coaching even my senior year. So my, my high school coach allowed me to do that. And then um, in my off season of playing in uh, minor league baseball, I coached the middle, my first job was middle school basketball and uh, JV basketball, 10, 11 year olds at my high school where I was working at in the off season to make some money. And it kind of just, I don't know, sparked me. And uh, I played, I ended up playing another half semester, half season or whatever it was. And then I just got let go. And then it was like, now what? And so the only thing I knew, I kind of gravitated towards teaching. Uh, both my parents were teachers uh, and educators. So I kind of got into the education part of it. And then from there, it just started training players. 
uh, all sports, just athletically in my town wow. uh, in Maine. So it from football, from, a, you know, a, a, a professional women's basketball player to a college football player to like some baseball players. And then just it kind of evolved. I ended up coaching high school football for four years, uh, high school wow. basketball for four years. Um, so I did a lot um, prior to me actually getting into baseball full time, honestly. So it was really allowed me to kind of grow as a coach. Um, and then, you know, about four years into my coaching journey was when I first got the, my first head coaching position. That's when I was, a, um, but I wasn't even uh, full time, just baseball. So I did high, college football at Bates College in the fall. And then I was the baseball coach in the spring. So um, I, my first baseball only job was when I went to Duke University in 2010, the summer of 2010. So it took a long time to get to the point where I was just a baseball coach because I thought I wasn't going to be a baseball coach. I thought I was going to be something else, hoops or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, kind of just – but I always had a sense that even in college, I was hurt again my senior year in college. Uh, funny trend, right? You kind of see the trend. But I, that's why I was an, I, I was an average player. But, um, it, yeah, I just kind of got hurt my senior year. I started helping all the young guys, you know, to kind of – my, you know, same thing. I, I came back, obviously. But it was just um, – yeah, kind of just always in me and kind of figured – once I got the platform to, to utilize my skill set, mm -hmm. I kind of just took off and I just loved it. So I haven't looked back. Now, I mean, I mean, you're 19 of coaching college baseball. So, and there's so much that goes into we, we hear about it all the time on, you know, kind of a grandier scale, but there's so much that goes into being a, a division one head coach that has very little to do what's actually on the field. <laughs> Yeah. Right. There's 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 there's, you know, player management. Now you're dealing with all kinds of uh, administrative stuff like transfer portals and extra mm -hmm. years, obviously, because of the pandemic. What is it that you've seen in kind of today's landscape that, you know, makes it more difficult for a, a, a player? I mean, a coach, excuse me, a coach like yourself. I mean, I'm assuming the first thing is and in baseball in general there's limited scholarships i don't believe georgetown i believe are there no scholarships like no we have scholarships okay. yeah it's limited so we're limited uh, the, the baseball in general yeah you, we i can't go to watch a kid play and say hey we like you you can right. get into school here's a full ride right right and so right. Those and, and people challenges. don't know that a lot of people would just assume that it's yeah like some like basketball or football or like the other sports. Yeah. So it's a challenge for all coaches. And I don't I don't care if you're at Georgetown, you're at a state school pain to go to play is always a challenge. And so I think that's why the NCAA created the NIL to allow the student athletes to have the opportunity to, to monetize themselves, make some money. Um, but I think the challenges are just like you said, is there's a lot to do outside of just coaching. I mean, there's always, there's a number that people say as coaches, like, 75% of my job is not baseball coaching as a head coach. It really isn't. You're administrating a lot. You're managing a lot. Um, but I think we love the baseball. When we get out in the field, it's like, oh, we get out here for three hours and it's just great. But the preparation and all those things. So there's a lot of behind the scenes, I think, you know, um, but I actually, I kind of think that's what I like. I like I like mm -hmm. that aspect. I like the, the balance that we're able to do um, as an assistant. I was, you know, you just – you have you're 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 so you know laser focused on that. I think as a head coach, you have so many different people. We have sixty people in our organization. I got to kind of manage um, and help, guide, lead, uh, inspire, you know, if you will. But then also, I got my people I have to answer to, and alumni. You have uh, boosters. You have donors. 
Um, and then you just have your community, right? So you try to balance all those things out and, and sometimes it can get overwhelming, but for the most part, you know, as I said, I've, I've done it kind of like, you know, the 19th year. So I have an idea of how to balance when, and when, when's a good time. Like we're getting right into our fall practices starting sure. up um, tomorrow. Um, so, you know, our time will go from, you know, we only had uh, four hours of instructional time to now it'll probably be like 15 hours, six, you know, 14 hours a week. So the, that part of it will change and then just the flow. So it's kind of, you just kind of get used to it, but it, there's never, um, it's never a dull moment coaching athletics in college sure. because you're always kind of helping something or doing something, uh, which kind of makes it fun and not just kind of, you know, the routine of the, the daily work. It just, you kind of just get lost into the, the day, but you just have fun while you're doing it. So. Coach, I'm going to ask you about your your turnaround on, on the field, especially with Georgetown. But the the first reference that I believe I read uh, your name was it was only a few years ago, and it was a uh, it was a undefeated article. Now it's called Anscape um, mm-hmm. about your work at uh, Eastern Kentucky. But the interesting part of this article that has always stood out to me, and I wanted to to ask you about it, was the number. Of, the, the article was about the number of African American players. Mm-hmm. Um, when we talked a lot about coaching in the past, but the number of African-American players that you you bought to your school at Eastern Kentucky and the way that they played the game and the mm-hmm. way that this, this school was was actually making this, you know, miracle turnaround. And and, and it, it wasn't, you know, it, it was I can't remember what the percentage of players was. It wasn't it wasn't like over 50 percent, but it was in the starting lineup. Um was that intentional at the time? And is that something that you keep in mind or, or is it just, Hey, I'm going to get the best players I can if they, you know, I, I will do yeah. that. But clearly you had players that you've taken throughout your career that either other people took a flyer on, took a pass on. I know some of them yeah. chose to chose to play with you because you're a, a black head coach, but yeah. talk to me a little bit about being able to see the talent that we have with African-American players and, um, your intentions to bring them on your squad and seeing if they're getting, do, do we feel like they're getting opportunities in other, other programs? Yeah. I, again, I think uh, that's a, it's a pretty cool time. So our, our university Eastern Kentucky at the time um, had a great scholarships for minority students. And so, you know, obviously being not fully funded uh, or not being, you know, I mean, not having full rides for everybody, you know, how do you, how do you manage, how do you, how do you maximize your, what the school has? Right. And so, it was a first generational school. It had a lot of emphasis on diversity. And so I always, every school I've been at, I try to recruit to my university to, to make sure we look like our university. And so uh, I think that helps our, our student athletes have a great experience, help you learn from each other. Um, intentional is always going to be to get the right people. That's my number one goal. And I don't care if you're in the inner city of, of Atlanta or you're in the Eastern Kentucky mountains. I mean, I've always tried to find the right people that fit. And because, uh, you know, just like the kid from the mountains of Kentucky at the time, you know, they're no different than the, the, the inner city kid that's overlooked. Right. Because they're not in the travel ball circuit, some in general. So mm. how do you kind of create that environment where it's welcoming for everybody? Um, and that's kind of what we try to do and establish no matter where I've been at. I think that's in a strength of mine um, because people, you know, they can relate. And, you know, one of the best stories is that we had a kid, two kids, one white, one black from the inner city of Atlanta to the mountains of Kentucky and they're best friends. And because they both were first, you know, getting into it together, they both had challenges because they both were limited uh, of lacking of their opportunities to be seen. I happen to see them at different things. And so 
just that connection. So I think that part of it from an intentional standpoint, I always try to find the right people that fit our organization. That's number one. And so where that comes and how it goes uh, at that time, yeah, we had 18, 18 players uh, of color um, on our roster out of 35. And, and obviously that was um, historic on some. Yeah, the mo- it was the most. In- yeah. In- I mean, the time. you know, yeah. out of not at a non HBCU. And so yeah. um, that, that part of it, and we had four black coaches, Right. And I had females on staff. And so like even with our coaching staff, you know, like right now we have six, you know, um, black coaches and females on my staff. And that's important. Um, but it's also important to provide, you know, my graduate assistant from Iowa who's here. Right. And just um, just giving people opportunity like people have given me is kind of what I just want to pay it forward. And, you know, being from a small town growing up, that's always been kind of in, in coming from a small school division three for six years that I coached prior to getting to division one, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Nothing changed. It's, it's, it's not a, a, not as glamorous as coming from a power five school, right? Division three to like, so when I interview coaches and I interview people, it's like, what story do you have? What, what, what experiences do you have that can relate late to me? And then ultimately represent that to my players, no matter where they're from. Uh, it also helps. And it goes without saying that you win a ton of games. <laughs> You, it's it's easy. It's it's a little easier, coach, when you win a ton. I mean, everywhere you've gone, it doesn't take long for you to start winning a ton of games. And yeah. this year, I mean, Georgetown is going into. So my my question is now: We went from the first year uh, that was uh, a six win. Uh, let, let's let's back up even a little bit. I think the last year you had before the pandemic, you were like undefeated or something. It was insane. It was like twelve yeah, and so- two or something like that. Yeah, um, my, during the pandemic, we were twelve and two at Eastern Kentucky. Right, uh, we beat LSU. We won eight in a row. We yeah. were on pace to who knows what could have happened. Who like knows what story, happen. right? Um, and, and, and then, then COVID hits, and then you turn to Georgetown first uh, first season, very difficult. Didn't even know if you were going to play. Didn't get any of the all season workouts. That's a six win season. Your first full season at Georgetown. I'd like to say it that way. What is it? A record mm-hmm. number thirty two wins. Yeah. Uh, so I, my, I, I guess my question is, given the team that you have, when you're going into this year, like, what, how do you top this? What do you do? You've already got the record, coach. What, what are you yeah. gonna do? Well, you know, I give you context on the six wins. We had seven days of practice. Right. No, I'm, I'm familiar. So, with this. so I just, I just want to let, let your viewers know, understand yeah, yeah. six wins was it? So we had, we kind of, but we we lost like eight or nine games by two runs or less. So we were like, we were right there, and we just said, okay, we just need practice, and so. Our coaching staff, our players that we recruited um, really did a great job. And I think, um, you know, like anything every year as a coach, you, yeah, everyone has – everyone right now, everyone has the same goal, right? Get to Omaha, get to the College World Series, win your championship. And I think – but for us, I really kind of just focus on – I always tell our team, we don't want to lose to Georgetown. Like yesterday we had a practice, and there was a period of time we had a, a couple of different things. We lost to Georgetown. We made a couple of errors, and we lost. And I said to him, that's what it looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And so – that's kind of the philosophy we want to have is, is establish just don't lose to us. We may lose a game, but if we get beat, we get beat, but just don't lose to us. So we're really focusing on just us. And I think that's been, you know, it's a coach talk, but it, it's just, there's a lot to be said about that. There's a lot to be, um, you know, people are hungry, right? We went, we didn't win a, a game in the postseason, right? So there's, there's things that we have to improve on to get where we want to be, ultimately get to the NCAA tournament, which Georgetown has never been at, right? And last year was our first, you know, winning season since 1986. People are like, wow, that's amazing. And in and it so con perspective, it is amazing. But internally, like anything, we're competitors and we want to get I told them how we break it next year, right? That's our, you know, and if we don't, we just hopefully have a you know best year we can. So 
yeah, I mean, how do you top it? You win more, right? That's how it works. That's the nature of this results-oriented business. So you win 35, when you know, whatever it is. So, um, but we just focus on just us getting better and hopefully playing good baseball by the time we get the postseason. That's our that's our always going to be my goal, no matter if you go to the College World Series, you win a championship, you got to get the postseason in our in your conference. So that's the first step, and then go from there. Coach, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of here, but I'm gonna switch switch gears a little bit on on a sure. couple of topics. Um, you you said you grew up playing the game, but you also played all kinds of sports. Uh, who are your favorite athletes growing up? Um, well, athletes just in general. I mean, I, mean, I grew up. Michael Jordan was uh, everyone had that, but uh, yeah, Ricky yeah. Henderson, Ricky Henderson, Ken Griffey Jr. Um, you know, from a, from a, that um, baseball. I mean, I I liked hockey, so I had Eric Lindros was a guy that I used to like oh. watching. I was going to say, um, we buried the lead here. You were talking about hockey and skate shops. We didn't talk about this at all. This was not in my research. I didn't know yeah, about your hockey. That's all right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, football. I mean, I, I like Randall Cunningham at the time. You know, I loved watching him play Barry Sanders. So just, um, yeah, I mean, any great athlete at the time was just, uh, I enjoyed just seeing guys compete. That's kind of really what started me in baseball was, um, I just saw a lot of players that looked like me at the time. And it was like, I liked that. And it was fun. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I played all sports, so I, I kind of just I had posted everyone on my wall. So I think like everyone yeah. did it as growing up. So Howard then. Bryant, uh, a couple months back now, and might be even a little bit longer than that, just released the, his biography on Ricky Henderson. I don't know if you've read. Yeah, it. I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, in, I'm reading it. Yeah, it is. It is amazing. But yeah. uh, but it made me go back and look at stats, and I, I want to say it was like August second or something. Um, I've been following uh, obviously a lot of the MLB and a lot of the stats. Um, a lot closer this year, but I think it was like August 2nd. I saw a tweet that said Ricky Henderson woke up today with a hundred stolen bases and he had like, he had like three months to go in the season. Right. That was the year he scored. He, he stole 130, I want to say 137 that year. Yeah. And I yeah. was just like this. And then I looked at the major league baseball stats in comparison. And I think the leader was at 29 this year. So yeah. the game has completely changed. Yeah, it, it's changed. It, it, it changed. I mean, but I, you know, who knows? Maybe some of these new rules may change some things that get the, get yeah. the guys more bases. So I was in, I, I was interested in that. Um, let me ask you, because uh, in today's game, we have so many, um, so many exciting players, uh, and, and especially exciting players that are African American. We were talking about the Henderson days. I think the watershed mark was around 1981, 1982, when it was about 20% African-Americans in the major leagues. Mm -hmm. uh, now we're about down to – it fluctuates between seven or eight uh, in the mm -hmm. major leagues right now. But there is a there is an upswing, of, mm -hmm. especially about young players. And if you looked at the draft this year, I want to yeah. say like the five out of the first six or five out of the first seven were African-American uh, American-born players. We've had some dark days, though, from the 80s to now. Yeah. If you're as somebody that's been around the game, you're recruiting, you you worked at USA Baseball. What would you say? What would you say is like the biggest challenge to get uh, African-Americans more into more into the system, more into the game uh, and interested uh, yeah. as they were back? If we were looking at the the mid to, to early 80s. And before. Well, I, well, I can tell you this. It's coming. There's a wave coming. There's there's kids, the guys in the minor leagues that I've seen over the last three to five years that are they're coming. There's a big wave. Major Baseball has made a great point uh, with Dell Matthews, Tony Regans uh, at the youth development area, Hank Aaron Invitational Breakthrough Series. So, you know, th there's there's a big wave coming uh, of some really talented players. Like you got a guy like Michael Harris, who who, who came, to the, came to came came to to the the system of the RBI program. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and, and that system. So there's a lot of players coming up. And I think the, the way that's going to help, it's going to help the, the kids that, and there's tons of kids playing. I think that's always a misconception. I mean, that's just, if you just, obviously you may not see as many in the college game and that's kind of where, you know, you get more black coaches, hopefully you get more black players and it kind of a trickle, you know, but it's just a process, but I think there's a lot of players. Um, and I, you know, just speaking this from a recruiting standpoint, when I go watch an event, the, the general general, there's more players playing and that, that is, there's no doubt about it in my mind. Um, so I think that the, what they've done is, is made the game, you know, fun or cool, whatever you want to look at it. But I think this great wave of, of guys that are there, Mookie Betts and you know, some of those guys that are superstars, they're, they're, it's starting to kind of trickle down a little bit. Again, I think, will it get to the point like it was in the 80s? I, I don't know about that. That's just going to numbers in the, you know, the country, that all that sure. stuff. There's a lot, a lot of the numbers. But I think if we can get to like, you know, 12 to 15, I think that's going to be a really good number uh, and realistic number that will happen over time. And then I think it's in teams to be more intentional who they draft and they develop. And so I think that part will take care of itself. Again, you see the next three to five years, I, I bet you that the number is going to be over 10, 12%, 15% hopefully be, would be the dream to get closer to that number. But um, I think it's going it, to, you'll see more guys going to college. I, I really feel like there's more guys playing in college uh, since there was five years ago. Sure. Uh, in general, uh, other schools and other programs, I think it's that that part of it's going to become more. You see guys more committing. Um, so again, all that stuff is kind of a process, and it's just like anything; it takes time. And sometimes, you know, <laughs> in the world we live in, we don't want it. We want everything right now. But I think um, even like coaches, I mean, there's, you know, we had, you know, uh, major up. We had last year there was two black head coaches at predominantly you know white institutions, and now this year there was there was four hires, three hires. There's, you know, so that, there's like a huge, or three hires. Sorry, and so that's a big deal. Um, and some most coaches of black coaches there has been ever right at the non HBCU. So it will take time. Things are going to come. And I think it just, you know, over time, it'll will, it will get to a number that it's, it's healthy. Coach, you've got a lot of goals. You, you said it, you got goals for Georgetown. You've got goals uh, as you, as you move forward. So look, I don't want anyone at Georgetown to get upset with me. I'm not going to ask any particular questions about immediate uh, stuff, but, Long, long, long term, when your career is over, when your yeah. coaching career is over and you look back on it, uh, is there a, a kind of a pinnacle? Is it is it, you know, coaching in the major leagues? Is it, you know, playing in the postseason? Is it World USA? Bet? Like, is there something where not again, not immediate Georgetown? Don't get he's he's here. He's your coach. He's going to be here. But when you look back on it, is there something that you could say? Uh, I, I, I'm really proud in my legacy, I was able to do this. I just think growing the game. I think that's my biggest, my biggest goal is just to, to be able to impact other people, uh, other leaders, uh, you know, in my last, my, my last, my last year of kid guys that I've helped move on that kind of, you know, I had one guy that was a hitting coach and two other guys were scouts. So helping guys of color get into the game in all the different areas. Obviously coaching is my, is my position. Um, and I've helped a lot, I think, at least in the in the guidance and behind the scenes and interview prep and some of that stuff. So I think if I can look back and say that there's coaches that I've helped that are still coaching when, when I'm done and there's more than just one, then I think that I've done my job because I've, I've, I've now they kind of taken that torch and pass it on like any other uh, any other coach that you know wants to have a legacy. I think that's something that but I think that's that's my thing is just. Uh, championships and wins and all those things. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm competitive and I expect that out of my, myself. And if I'm doing that, I want to do it right and do it well. But I think at the end of it, at the end of the day, as long as my players feel that 
I was able to impact their lives and I was able to, to be honest and, con, you know, consistent with them. Um, and I'm not always perfect and not going to win every game, but if I can have those two things, like my players felt that I would impact their life. Uh, and then the coaches that I was able to help or the people staff, that's kind of be my, be, I'd be very happy if I, you know, got done tomorrow. And that was what people said about me. Well, I can tell you this coach, if you were done tomorrow, which you're not going to be, you've already, <laughs> you've already built that legacy uh, yeah. in regards to uh, growing the game, making it uh, giving, especially young coaches, someone to look at, but obviously giving players of all colors and creeds and races, a, a person to look up to just by the example that you lead. It has been uh uh, just awesome following your journey these last uh, couple of years and now I'm being able to talk to you. It has been a pleasure. Yeah. So we'll, we'll uh, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. I'm not too far away. So I'll, I'll try to uh, come up and see some, see some Georgetown baseball and, and see you run the team. And that's, that's really exciting. Last thing I'll get you out on uh, just cause we alluded to it before we came on the air. You are obviously not the first legendary coach Thompson at Georgetown <laughs> university. So you go by coach T often. You said there's a story behind it. Yeah, well, I just think the the day that I got hired uh, was the day that he passed away. Uh, really sad day as a person that grew up watching him on TV and Coach Thompson. So I always just say I'm Coach T. There's only one Coach Thompson at Georgetown. So, um, but that was kind of you know really unique that it happened on the day I was hired. He passed away, and um, you know I, I don't I, I wish I was able to, to to meet him and talk to him and you know soak in knowledge, but. Um, just being in the buildings, being in, in these halls, like it, there's a presence that I try to just obviously just be the best version of myself, myself, my family. But there is, a, a, I think, a prideful moments of just being here and knowing that the history of the, of the university with a last name. So it, it's a pretty cool uh, honor just to be here. I mean, I, I again, I, I grew up as a 10, 12 year old with Georgetown, like every kid in the 80s. It's just yeah. one to, you know, now that I'm actually the head coach, it's it's pretty it's a pretty powerful thing. So, but yeah, I always say this, always just call me Coach T because there's just the one Coach Thompson. So, but yeah, we will be down in Richmond uh, October 16th if you want to come watch over at the Diamond. So, one o'clock. Absolutely. I'd say, I was, I yeah. had mentioned uh, before the, uh, the, the the schedule is is you guys play a very tough schedule. It's a pretty amazing schedule where you have several ACC teams that are kind of one off yeah. games, and then you had uh, uh, some amazing uh, you know teams like VCU, which is my alma mater. I went to VCU. Nice. Um, have a pretty strong team, and and so, coach, I am ecstatic to be able to have this time with you. Uh, I yeah. wish you the best of luck. Uh, as you go through the season and uh, I would, I'd love to to see you in Richmond. So if everyone yeah. that can follow, you're actually a pretty good social media follow as well. Your Twitter, your, I don't know if you do it yourself, but your Twitter handle is pretty active. Yeah. So yeah, I do, I do it. I do it myself. So get out and follow. follow. Yep. Follow coach T and follow Georgetown baseball as they uh, have a great, uh, great upcoming season. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the black baseball mixtape and we'll be back after this. Uh, uh, uh. 